there are a lot of us who really don't enjoy going to the doctor. Uh, you know, we th- kind of think that ignorance is bliss, but that's not really true uh, when it comes to your health. And so, uh, you know, we kind of try to avoid the doctor. We, we don't want to go and, and maybe hear something that we don't want to hear. And there was this one man, there's a story of this one man who sort of took this to the extreme. It was uh, back in the mid-1990s, there was a 63-year-old man who lived in London who just would not go to the doctor, just would not bring himself to to go to a hospital and he needed a a bladder surgery but he just would not go and so he did what any self-reliant person would do he decided to perform surgery on himself uh, at his house and so he he did this bladder surgery on himself at the house He got an infection, as you might uh, suspect, from this self-surgery, and he later died. The coroner said that, unfortunately, his drastic remedy went wrong. A simple operation would have solved the problem. He wouldn't place his trust in the one thing that would have saved him. If he'd have just gone to the hospital gone to the medical professionals, he'd still been just fine. And in the same way, there are many people who try to save ourselves instead of going to the one who could really save us. We think, I don't want to do this. I might not feel good. I might not like it. We have all sorts of various excuses But instead of going to the one who can really save us, we try to do it ourselves and we face the same sort of disastrous consequences in our lives. And so what we we can learn from this story and what we're going to learn today in our passage of scripture is what we trust in matters. What we trust in matters. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd ask that you'd stand in honor of God's word if you're able and turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 2. We're continuing through this uh, book, this letter, uh, and the series is called No Other Gospel. And today we come to verse 11 of chapter 2 as we consider the idea of gospel trust. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, the word of God says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew then how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? We're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. 
Thank you. You may be seated. Today I want us to examine where our trust is found. And as we look at this episode that, that Paul is recounting to the church at Galatia, he's, 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 he's sharing with them an event that occurred several years before in which he was, he was there in Jerusalem interacting with the church leaders in Jerusalem. And the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that there are consequences if we trust in men's opinions. Trusting in men's opinions. This passage begins with an example of when you have right beliefs but wrong behavior. He has right beliefs, but he has wrong behavior. Verses 12 and 13, he's sharing about Peter, Cephas. And he says he, he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and he separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, what Peter was doing in this passage is really extraordinary if you think about it. Forever, the Jews were taught that the Gentiles were evil sinners, that they were not the people of God, and that you were supposed to avoid them. But Peter now knows that these Gentiles are followers of Jesus, which means that they are now brothers and sisters in Christ. So when he was at Antioch, a church that was mostly comprised of Gentiles, he says that he did the unthinkable, that he ate at the table with them. This was a huge thing. I mean, just think about the parable that Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan. All those Jews kept walking by the man on the road and would not stop and talk to him. The reason that that story rung so true uh, with the, the people that Jesus was sharing it with is because that's how they behaved. And so for Peter to now go and sit at the table with these Gentiles at the church at Antioch was a big deal. Because the, in, in their culture, eating at the table was a sign of fellowship. That's why they would always complain about Jesus sitting at the table with sinners and tax collectors. Why is he doing that? Well, here you find Peter sitting at the table with Gentiles. And this means that they're brothers, that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. However, what Paul is sharing here in the passage is that once these Judaizers came down from Jerusalem to the church at Antioch, that all of a sudden, Peter was like, eh, I can't sit with y'all anymore. It looks like all the seats are taken, you know. Uh, he, he didn't want to be found around them anymore. And so Peter is called out by Paul here in this passage of Scripture. Basically, Peter was giving in to the culture in this instance. He was caving in under peer pressure. Because when those Judaizers were not around, he was friendly. He was outgoing. He was sitting at the table. He was fellowshipping with these Gentiles. But once they showed up, he didn't want to be found near the Gentiles because he was afraid of what they might think. He's trusting in what man thinks instead of what God thinks. But Peter had dealt with this, this issue before. If you look over in the book of, of Acts, 
in Acts chapter 11, Peter is sharing there with the church in Jerusalem about what had happened among these Gentiles. If you look in Acts chapter 11 and verse 15, he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then how could I possibly hinder God? And it says, when they heard this, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, so then, God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. So this is Peter saying this. This is all before this instance that Paul is talking about. And you say, well, who is Peter talking to? Look back at the beginning of chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, these same guys, criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And so they were on Peter even back then, but in that case, Peter says, well, look, this is what happened. They got the Holy Spirit just like we did. And so as far as I can see, they're believers just like we're believers, But now that same man, we find, is avoiding these Gentiles. He's caving under peer pressure. He's he's facing these uh, insults and criticism from the Judaizers, and he is buckling under it. Do you know anybody like that? Maybe that somebody is you or me, if we're really honest. You love Jesus. You wear the t-shirt, you're friends with Christians when you're at church, but when you're at school, you're too too cool to be found around those same Christians. Or when you're at the workplace, a workplace that maybe isn't so friendly toward a Christian worldview, all of a sudden you're like a silent Christian, you know, like a hidden secret agent Christian. And when you do that, you're trusting in men's opinions over the Lord. You're doing the same thing that Paul is calling Peter out for in this passage of Scripture. Thomas Fuller once said that he does not believe that does not live according to his belief. And so this episode here is really about hypocrisy. And that's what Paul calls it in the passage of Scripture. He says that Peter fell into this hypocrisy, that he led the others into this hypocrisy. Even Barnabas joined him in this hypocrisy, he says. And so it's really about hypocrisy. It's, like, it's sort of like being the, the president of PETA and then wearing a fur coat, okay? I mean, that's, that's sort of what's going on here in this passage of Scripture, that what Peter believed about the gospel didn't match up with his behavior, that he has right beliefs, but wrong behavior. And I wonder where the hypocrisy is in in our lives. Maybe you believe the Bible, but you're not living it out in certain areas of your life. You say, well, I follow Jesus, but, you know, there's these certain things that you're just not going to let go of, or you're not going to change in your life. Or you say, "I, I follow Jesus, but you're hiding any evidence of it in public. And when you allow other men's opinions to dictate your behavior, then they're the authority in your life. They're the God 
in your life, the little G God. And what we trust in really matters. And so Paul confronts him about trusting in men's opinions. The second thing that we see in this passage, though, is what it means for us to to be those who would trust in the gospel. This is when you have right beliefs and you also have right behavior, where you're rejecting hypocrisy on the one hand and you're also rejecting self-righteousness or legalism on the other hand. And you're holding tightly to the gospel because the gospel is the only answer for our sin problems. And so Paul says to this church in Galatia, look, they fell into this hypocrisy, but, verse 16, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. And so what he's saying here is that anything else that you place your trust in is going to come up short. That we trust in Jesus Christ by faith. That's the story of the gospel. Hebrews 11.1 defines faith like this. Faith is the reality of what's hoped for. It's the proof of what is not seen. And so this is what we've hoped for, even though we've not seen it. We believe that everything that we need for salvation was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. That's what we believe. That everything that we need for salvation was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. That we were created by God to have a relationship with with him, but our sin has separated us from God, that it has pushed us away from him, and we can't cross that chasm to get back to God on our own. We can't erase our sins, we can't justify our sins, we can't do enough good things to build our way back up and overcome our sins. We are completely and totally lost. And not only that, we're totally guilty. Because that sin that separates us from God has a price. And that price, the Bible tells us, is death. And the price has to be paid. And so that means that we would spend forever separated from God in our sin in a place called hell. Except that God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. And Jesus came to earth to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus lived a perfect life, a life without any sin. And even though he was sinless himself, he paid the price for what you've done, for what I've done on the cross. And he paid our debt. He ransomed us at Calvary, dying in our place. And as he hung there on the cross, he cried out, It is finished. But he didn't stay dead because the Bible tells us on the third day that he rose from the dead, showing to us that death is now defeated and that sin is now defeated, that hell is now defeated. And Jesus offers to us this gift of salvation through faith in him. 
And so we believe in who he is. We believe in what he's done for us because, as Paul says, a person isn't justified by works, but by faith in Christ. So when we believe, the Bible says that we're born again, that we're made new, that our sins are all erased, that we are forgiven and washed clean, that we're adopted into God's family, and we now have a relationship with him again, just as God designed us to do. And so this is where our trust is placed. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We put all of our hope and all of our trust and all of our faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That's why Peter would stand and preach in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 and say that there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that's given to people by which we must be saved. And so because of what he's done for us, we now worship him. And we now serve him with all of our heart and mind and strength. And we follow him in obedience as our Lord and as our king. We have right beliefs about the gospel which result in right behavior. But the heart of this passage and the thing that Paul is contending for, for the Galatians, is what does it mean to be justified before God? How is a man justified before God? He uses that word here in verse 16 several times. How is it that we're justified before God? He uses the Greek word dikaio, which is translated justified. It means to be declared righteous. So he's pointing us to that day of judgment, that day that we're all going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. And we've just said that all of us have sinned against God, and that sin separates us from God. So it's not looking very good for us on this judgment day. How is it that we can be declared righteous before God? How is it that we can be made justified before God? Martin Luther said that justification by faith alone is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. John Calvin said it is the hinge upon which everything turns. So how is a man declared righteous before God? Is it because he says all the right things? Is it because he does some right things? No, the answer is that we are only declared righteous before God because Jesus gives us his own righteousness. That's how we're declared right in God's sight. And that's what occurs in our hearts when we put our faith in Jesus to save us of our sins. He forgives us, he cleanses us, and he clothes us in his own righteousness. So that when we do stand before God, God sees us covered in the blood of his own son. You see, what we trust in really matters. And there's a third point that Paul makes here to this church in Galatia. And that is trusting in works. 
See, there's trusting in man's opinions and hypocrisy on the one end, but on the other end is legalism or self-righteousness. It's when you have wrong beliefs but right behavior. Right? These, these guys had the right beliefs, they just weren't living it. They had wrong behavior. Those who trust in the gospel have a right belief that results in right behavior. These guys here who are trusting in their works have the wrong belief, but they're doing the right things. And one of the greatest temptations that we face is to trust in our own works. That we think if we just try harder, if we'll just do better, then somehow we can earn it. But if you're trusting in your own works, you are nullifying the gospel. Your beliefs are out of whack. And this is what Paul says in verse 17. He says, if we ourselves are found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, then is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. He says, listen, if these Judaizers are correct and and it's really about keeping the law, then when we tell you that you're justified by faith in Jesus, then Jesus is is really a promoter of, of sin if you're not justified by Christ. He goes, but that's absolutely not what the Bible teaches us. If you go back to Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, These are some of the scariest verses in the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. What's Jesus saying here? He's pointing at these folks that would say, but we're doing all these right things. We have right behavior. Look, we prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. But what does he call those people in this passage? He calls them lawbreakers. And why is that? It's because all the good things that you do do not overcome the evil and the sin that we've committed. We're still lawbreakers because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so if you're counting like these to say, well, wait wait a minute, what do you mean depart from me? I did this and I did this and I did this. They're looking at these, this list of works that they've done to justify them, to declare them righteous before God. And Jesus says it doesn't measure up. I shared recently about my conversion experience as a senior in high school and how I came to to trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. But here's the deal. I'm a preacher's son. And so I had gone to to church since nine months before I was born. I mean, I was there on Sunday mornings, on Sunday nights, on Wednesday nights. I had memorized scripture. I sang in the choir. I had been on mission trips. I had given in the offering plate. I went to church, I went to Sunday school, I never missed vacation Bible school. I had a lot of good works. I had a lot of good works, but they didn't save me. Only Jesus can do that. And I'm convinced that there are a lot of people just like me in churches all over the South. That you're in church, but you're not in Christ. 
You've learned to do a lot of good things, a lot of the right things. And, and honestly, you're a good person. But hell is filled with a lot of good people who never trusted in Christ to save them from their sins. If you look in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable there. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. It says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and that they looked down on everyone else. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven. But he kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, I tell you that this one went to his house justified, same word, rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus gives this example of these two folks. Which one of these two was doing all the right things? The Pharisee, right? I mean, he tells you everything he did. He's proud of it. He says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Like, he's doing more than most of us are. Okay, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. I'm not like these guys, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers. I, he says, I, I'm doing all the right things. Then Jesus talks about this tax collector, a guy that the Bible always talks about tax collectors in a, in a negative way, right? They're the ones that are trying to, to uh, take advantage of their, of their countrymen. They're trying to extort them for more money than they should owe with taxes. They're always bad guys. And he knows it. He wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. He kept striking his chest and saying, what? God have mercy on me, a sinner. What's his trust in? The gospel. He's trusting in the mercy of God. He's admitting his sinfulness. And he's trusting in God to have mercy on him. And Jesus says, when I look at these two, he goes, this one went to his house justified, declared righteous before God. This one didn't. What group of people is it that Jesus rebukes more than any other during his earthly ministry? The Pharisees, right? The ones who had all of the right behavior, but the wrong beliefs. And so if you're trusting in works, you're going to be found lacking. In verse 18, Paul says, If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. Why would we rebuild the things that we tore down? Only if we think that the gospel's not enough. If we think that we have to do something more. Imagine with me that you're walking through the, the Louvre Museum there in Paris. Uh, just this famous mu museum filled with world-class art. And you come around the corner and there in front of you is the Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci, right? This beautiful, I mean, it's, it's considered a masterpiece, this piece of art. 
and you walk up in front of it and you say, ah, that's a beautiful piece of art. And then you pull out a Sharpie marker out of your pocket and you just start to kind of draw on the painting. You know, a little bit of hair here, maybe, maybe you're mean and you put a mustache and stuff like that, like kids do, you know. But you just want to add a little bit to the painting. You would never do that, right? I mean, I hope not. But that's what it's like for us to add our works to Jesus' masterpiece. I mean, he accomplished our salvation on the cross. He told us because he said, it's finished, right? The work is done. There's nothing more for us to do. There's nothing that needs to be added. We must simply believe in him by faith for salvation. And so this section is really about self-righteousness. That what we really trust in is what we do. To have wrong beliefs but right behavior. J.C. Ryle said to beware of self-righteousness in every possible shape and form. Some people get as much harm from their virtues as others do from their sins. We put our trust in the wrong place. Listen, I wouldn't trust the best 10 minutes of my life to save me and to get me into heaven. Because I know my heart and I know my sin and I know that I desperately need Jesus to save me. And so what we trust in matters. And so as we look across this room today and those that are watching with us online, maybe this morning you realize that you need to put your trust in this gospel You need to place your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin. Maybe you're like these that tend toward legalism and toward self-righteousness, and you go, yeah, I've done a lot of these right things, and that's really what I'm counting on. That's really where my hope is lying. That's where my trust is. And today you've realized that that doesn't measure up and that you need Jesus. Or maybe today as you look at your heart, you realize that, that there's hypocrisy that's going on there. That you've believed some of the right things and you've said the right things, but in your heart you know that you're not living it out. And you've never come, really come to this point where you've humbled yourself before God and you've called on him like, like that tax collector and said, have mercy on me, a sinner, and cried for God to save you. In a minute we're gonna have a time of response and we're gonna stand, we're gonna sing. There's gonna be leaders here across this front And if this is a decision that you need to make in your heart today, I want to encourage you to come and to call on Jesus, the one who died on the cross for your sins, who rose from the dead so that we could have life and salvation and forgiveness. And today that you would put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, his good gospel for your salvation. And so come as the Lord puts it on your heart. Maybe as you're watching online, this is a decision that you want to make. I want you to get your cell phone and text the word Decide to the number 865-234-3241. Let us know that this is a decision that you want to make in your heart today because we want to walk with you through that and encourage you in that decision this morning. Christians, this morning, as we consider this passage of Scripture, if we're not careful, we can slip into hypocrisy or into self-righteousness. We can put too much trust in man's opinions or in our own works. And either one of those is an affront to the gospel. 
Maybe this is a Paul confronting Peter moment for you. Or maybe this is a Jesus confronting the Pharisees moment for you. But either way, our faith is in Christ and in his gospel. And so maybe you want to spend some time there at your seat or even here at this altar today confessing those things to the Lord and saying, God, help me to have gospel trust. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today for your word. Lord, for the beauty of your gospel. Lord, that it's not dependent on us. On that we do enough or try hard enough. But God, that's dependent on what you have done. Your mercy, your love. So God, thank you for your goodness that you showed us in Jesus for the gift of salvation that you've given unto us. And God, I pray if there's any here today who have never trusted in you, never put their faith in Christ for salvation, that today would be the day that they would come and call on you for salvation. Lord, for Christians this morning, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Show us areas of hypocrisy. Show us areas of self-righteousness. And call us back again to the gospel. Over and over again to the gospel that's where our hope lies. God, for those that may be led by your Holy Spirit this morning to come and to join this church family, I pray that they would come and make that decision today to become part of what you're doing here at Wallace. God, however you're speaking to our hearts, I pray that we'd be doers of this word today and not just hearers only. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.